Hello, and welcome to Mornings with Joel, commercial real estate podcast, where we focus on rising stars and established players in commercial real estate and talk to them about how they are building legacies in today's marketplace. Well, we want to welcome everyone. This is uh, obviously the Mornings with Joel Theory podcast. And uh, we're very excited to have Gerald Moore with us today. And we're taking a little detour from the uh, normal path. As you know, we generally just speak specifically about real estate subjects. We have real estate professionals that come on. But Gerald has a different perspective. And there's a reason why we brought him on this week. The main reason why is because, well, you'll find out in a minute. But he's got a tremendous background. And uh, I think you'll want to hear what he has to say. And so we certainly appreciate you being with us today. So, Gerald, what's happening, man? And you're muted, by the way. Hey, good morning, Joel, and thanks for having me, man. I'm doing good. Just a typical Monday morning in the in the Moore household. Lots of lots of movement, lots of activity happening right now. All right, understand, understand. And for you guys, um, just joining us, we had a a little bit of a, a laughable thing going on uh, before we came online here because uh, I was about to wear a black T-shirt because since he's a techie. But uh, I said, nah, I'm going to wear a shirt because I told him on Friday I'm going to wear a shirt. And so here we go. So he wears the black T-shirt. So it's all good. It's all good. We're happy for you to be here. But just um, so, Joe, I tell you what, there's, there's a reason why we brought you on. And uh, one of the main things we're, we're trying to change our focus this month to talk about big corporation and diversity. And as you know, there's been a whole lot of talk going on, uh, especially after George Floyd, that there's going to be more money invested in minority businesses and whatnot. And the question is, is it really getting out there? You know, one of the things that we've seen is, um, you know, with like Haiti and other places where there's a lot of commitments, but then you wonder if that money is actually flowing and if it's actually showing up. So if you don't mind, give us a, first of all, tell us who you are, and uh, and then we'll go into a little bit about your background and, and kind of tie this all together as to why we uh, asked you to be here today. Thanks, Joel. And just good morning again to everyone that joined us this morning. Uh, My name is Jarrell Moore. I am Director of Global Inclusion uh, for Google. I'm based here in our Google Atlanta office. I'm not uh, an Atlanta native. Uh, I've been here for about four years. I'm a lawyer by training and have spent my entire career in what I would call the people space. So uh, my work is dedicated, you know, in human resources and diversity and equity and inclusion. For those of you who may be from the South, I'm a Southerner. I was born here in the South, uh, attended an HBCU, South Carolina State University, where I played college football and then went to law school and business school at the University of South Carolina. Joel, I think it's important that we continue this conversation that you've called out because, you know, I've, I'll tell you, I saw a tidal wave, you know, this monumental shift with the murder of George Floyd, where, you know, for the first time ever, it felt like companies finally started listening, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I've been doing diversity work for over 15 years and the shift that I saw was is that we were making the business case uh, when we shouldn't have had to make the business case. And then within a moment, I'm talking about within a matter of days, it went from us pounding the table trying to make the business case to companies saying, oh, my gosh, what should we be doing? Right. Mm-hmm. So then we saw this you know, big, big tidal wave of companies making these commitments to do certain things. 
but not having the infrastructure to do it, right? right. Or not having the resources or the internal commitment, you know, to, to really see a lot of their commitments through. Mm-hmm. And what we talk about, you know, my peers that are in different industries in the diversity space, we're talking now, we're saying, hey, here we are two years later and, you know, the, the wheat is starting to be separated from the shaft, right? Yeah, yeah. We're starting to see who's serious about this work. Well, I shouldn't say serious, but who's really equipped to, you know, for the for the long term. Yeah. You know, I'll share a little bit about Google and what happened before I joined and what has happened, you know, since I've been at Google. So, you know, as a result of, you know, not only George Floyd, but but Asian hate and a lot of things that were happening in this monumental year of 2020, Google decided to you know, create meaningful change uh, within our own company first. And we said that we needed to really strengthen our commitment to racial equity and inclusion because we knew that this was going to help us build more helpful and meaningful products. You and I both know that the African-American community, we're super users of technology and social media. Mm -hmm. And to that end, you know, we announced several commitments to help build sustainable equity for the black community. So first and foremost, what did we do internally? We're working to improve our black and African-American representation at senior levels and committing to improve leadership representation in underrepresented groups by 30 percent by the year 2025. And I'll tell you, Joel, right now we're trending ahead of ahead of schedule. We're, you know, probably going to have to extend that goal because we're doing so well against that. We're doing more to address representation challenges. So we're focusing on hiring, retention, and promotion at all levels. And this is something that you and I chatted about briefly last week. You know, to to really address representation challenges, one of the worst kept secrets about Silicon Valley is there's a lack of diversity there. And so one of the challenges with hiring has been when you You know, for me, for instance, when Google called me and said, hey, we want to offer you a very senior role at our company. I said, hey, I'm from I'm from, you know, the South. I'm married to a woman from Georgia. Her network is here in Atlanta. I'm not going to move. But Google shifted and said, you don't have to move. And Mm -hmm. so they said, we want you to stay where you feel most comfortable being productive. And so, you know, as part of our racial equity commitments, we established growth cities in Google. Mm -hmm. Uh, So. New York, Atlanta, D.C., Chicago, these are very diverse epicenters. And what we've seen during the pandemic is that our diversity has has increased uh, significantly because now we're, we're allowing people to, to leverage technology, to, to leverage working virtually and really live where they feel most comfortable. One quick data point I was I was calculating before we joined at the beginning of the pandemic. The Google Atlanta office, which has been here for 20 years, we had we had roughly 300 employees in the two years since the pandemic. We've grown 300 percent. We're over we're over 1100 employees now. And and a lot of that is for two reasons. People like me who didn't want to leave Atlanta and a lot of people who already worked at Google who wanted to move to Atlanta. And so these are some of those things when you say Jarrell talking about the Haiti analogy where people kind of make these big announcements and then nothing follows through. You know, we're seeing the landscape at Google shift significantly. But I'm going to pause because as you can see, man, I got on a commercial and you probably got some questions. But there are a few more things that I'll share with you throughout the call. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. And, and we'll certainly have time for that as we go along. So we, we certainly appreciate that. 
But I, I noticed also, and just to, to talk about yourself, because I, I certainly want to circle back to Google, but looking at your background, you worked at Nike, you worked at Insure, uh, Assure and Insurance uh, Company, you've been at you know, uh, Time Warner and Burger King. I mean, you've had such a diverse background, but it's all kind of been in the space of diversity and inclusion. You know, how did that become like your main focus as to what you wanted to spend your time on? Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a funny story, man. So when I came out of law school, first of all, I had to I had to prove to my parents that not practicing law was going to be OK. Right. Because <laughs> I wanted to be a lawyer since I was since I was in the fourth grade. Sure. But, you know, when I came out, of, I did a dual degree. And, and here's the, the first kind of inkling about diversity. Now, I went to law school at the University of South Carolina, and I love my alma mater, but the Black legal profession in South Carolina is still very closed for opportunities for African Americans, right? I've seen change since I came out, but when I was in school in the 90s, you know, a lot of good students like myself weren't getting opportunities. Mm -hmm. Now, switch gears over to the business school, because corporate America was talking diversity much, much, much earlier than law firms were. Man, I had to beat recruiters off with a stick coming from business school. I mean, they were whining and dining and fly me first class. We want you to come work for us. And so I saw this significant difference between just my legal experience and my corporate experience, right? So I chose the railroad, CSX transportation, and I went into a management training program. And, you know, I was working in labor relations, dealing with unions and stuff like that. And I got exposed to our diversity efforts just by chance. I saw one of my colleagues at lunch and he said, I said, hey, man, where are you going? He said, I'm going to this affinity group meeting. And at this point, just to kind of give you context, mm -hmm. I've been at the company a couple of months. I was the youngest person in my department and, it, and, it, and, the, and the diversity issues I was feeling wasn't race. It was age. You know, I was in my I was in my mid to late 20s and the next person on my team was almost 50 years old. And so there was this age gap where I just didn't feel included because when we're at lunch and people are talking about retirement and paying off their homes and I hadn't even bought my first home, this wasn't a lot of connection. Right. So my peer invited me to this affinity group meeting for young professionals and our CEO happened to be there talking about the power of, of young professionals in our company. And something happened when I saw myself represented in that room, Joel. And so then I started looking for other things. And then I found an African-American affinity group. A couple of months later, I became the leader of that affinity group. And man, I haven't looked back. There's something about seeing yourself reflected in a place that you spend the majority of your time and also that has so many connections. You know, this is how I pay my mortgage. This is how I pay my children. So if, if this is where I spend so much time, then I want to see myself reflected in the workplace, right? I don't want to turn off my identity when I'm at work and then just, you know, and flip it back on when I'm having dinner with my family. And so that I got really passionate about that, about making those connections for people. And here I am, man, over 15, almost 20 years later, I've been doing this work. Wow. 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 That's quite a story and uh, very impressive as well. So thank you for doing that. And, um, you know, I'm sure there's many more uh, success stories to, to talk about. So one thing I did want to circle in on a little bit was um, related to your, your work at Google. And uh, here in Atlanta, I understand that there's been uh, some things that you've been doing with Morehouse as it relates to actually putting dollars to work. So uh, you might Yeah, so 
Yeah, man. So first and foremost, the one thing, Joe, about working at Google is this is the first company where I can truly say we hire the, the smartest and some of the most brilliant people in the world. You know, for those of, of, of your listeners who dial into the podcast, if you deal with, with imposter syndrome, man, when I got here, Joel, I was like, oh, my gosh, am I smart enough to be here? Right. And and, and, and what we kind of say unspoken at Google is that if you're smart enough to get hired, then you're smart enough to be here. But talking about what's happening here in Atlanta, we have a young brother that's a Morehouse graduate that founded a nonprofit. So he went to Morehouse. His nonprofit is called Code House. And, you know, he, he kind of played off the Morehouse branding and it focuses on cultivating a strong and and deep pipeline between students of color and industry leading technology companies. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they've even gone a step further to really focus on HBCU graduates. And so uh, now here I am working at Google in Atlanta. This brother's here. But because of COVID, I never met him. And I got an invite about three weeks ago to this code house kickoff and it's been going on for a few years mm -hmm. and I get there and I'm talking to one of my peers and I'm like, so what's Google's connection to code house? He said, code house is doing so well that Google gave this, th this nonprofit a million dollars. So when you talk about investing in the community, I was like, oh my gosh, right. That, that was a really big deal, but, but, you know, we didn't, we didn't start there and we're definitely not going to stop there. The week that I joined Google last year, Joel, we announced, uh, and this came out of not my team specifically, but the organization that I'm in, I report to our chief diversity officer. We announced a $50 million non-restricted donation to 10 historically black colleges and universities that we have strategically been working with over the past few years. And the big key here when you talk about unrestricted dollars is for HBCUs, that's key because it gives them the opportunity to use those funds where they see fit. And so when you think about the Morehouses of the world, the Clark Atlantas of the world, the Spellmans of the world, you know, we are tied into the AU Center, you know, in a very, very deep and meaningful way. And that's not just here in Atlanta, that's throughout the country where we find HBCUs connected. But no, man, Code House is amazing. And then I met this young brother, his name is Ernest. And I, I, was, I was talking to him, his parents were there. And I said to myself, I said, we got to protect this brother at all costs. We've got to do everything we can. I told him, I said, you're not going anywhere. I said, I said I'm going to see to myself wow. that, you know, you are taken care of and you have a long and meaningful career here at Google. Wow. 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 That's impressive, man. These stories just kind of take us on a ride, you know, and they're, they're so enjoyable to see that you guys are actually doing things. So 50 million attend historically of black colleges and universities. What, what is what do you say is, is the future for Google? Do they have a, a particular target that they're trying to hit as regards minority investment outside of, of this with the HSBCUs or what are your thoughts there? Let me say it this way. You know, targets are critical. You know, anyone that, you know, you're in finance, right? I mean, you do massive deals and, and, and imagine doing a deal without numbers, right? So we know that we have to set targets to get there. And for leaders who are held accountable, for people that want to see themselves represented, we're definitely doing that, right? But it's 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 really this this holistic and collective piece where it's focusing on HBCUs, it's focusing on promoting and hiring 
more people of color at my level. I'm, I'm at what you would consider a more senior level at Google, but it's also doing some of the organic things like culture work, because you and I both know that you can't go out and hire a bunch of people if your culture is not ready for it. And that's why going back to your Haiti analogy, we've seen a lot of companies that have hired very quickly and hired very well. And, you know, it's kind of like, you know, I don't know. I don't know how you were raised, but but my mom told me don't invite company over if the house is not in order. Right. Yeah. And so bringing. Yeah. And so bringing someone in when culture is not ready can have a negative effect. Right. And so what I'm seeing across various industries is people all of a sudden have found this talent that they couldn't find before. But now the challenge is shifting from hiring to keeping. Right. And so there's just a variety of different things, Joel, that we're doing. We're, we're making the, the investment in real infrastructure. We're you know moving to cities that we had not been in historically. But there's another one that, that's really, really important, which is critical to what we do, and that's our own products, right? We have really started to look at our products and how they can be inclusive. And my products team is going to get upset with me. I don't have a, a script or a soundbite, so I'm just going to try to explain this to you as someone who's a Google user. So like in Maps, right? So in Google Maps, you can actually go in Google Maps now and search Black-owned businesses, right? Oh. Two years ago, you couldn't do that. So, so in any city that you're in, you can just go in and say Black-owned you know, vegan restaurant. And I'm hoping that Slutty Vegan will come up here in Atlanta, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, doing things, and it's not just for the African-American community. We've done that for a variety of communities, for our Latinx and Hispanic. We've even gotten down into the weeds with some of our smaller communities, but still to make sure that they're inclusive, right? So when you think about our maps, another one, if you remember from the Super Bowl, we did this amazing ad for our Pixel phone, which talked about a new technology that is specifically targeting people of color. Now, I'm a lighter complexion brother, but even when I take photos, sometimes the shadow, I don't show up in the way that I look, right? And so we worked internally with our African-American, our Black employee resource group to really test out you know, this technology to make sure that we were getting it right. And let me tell you, I have a Pixel and an iPhone. Now, like a lot of people, I only have the iPhone for FaceTime because I got a family and I need to see my children and stuff like that. But the Pixel is by far the superior device. And when you look at the the, uh, the camera, I was at Essence Music uh, Festival a couple of weeks ago. Google did a big activation. So I'm taking pictures. There's nothing but black people. And let me tell you, man, the quality was amazing. And for me, the dots were connected because I'm saying to myself, we're trying to be more inclusive and really leverage our products to create a great user experience. So it's it's broad, man. It's it's product. It's hiring, it's accountability, it's investment. You know, it's doing conversations like this where we share with people what's going on at Google because there's, I've learned, there, there's not going to be a silver bullet, right? You can name a black CEO at a company and not have a diverse leadership team, right? You can give a billion dollars to HBCUs, but if you're not hiring and creating a place that they want to stay, then it's just not going to, you know, so we have to take this holistic approach, if you will, for how we do our work. Yeah, yeah, very good point, very good point. Are you still finding that people are saying that they can't find minorities that are equipped to, to fill these roles? Is that still an issue out there? Because we hear that sometime in real estate. I can't find lots of... Well, now, 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 talking about real estate in this, here's what I think. Uh -huh. <clears throat> because I worked, and I shared this with you, I worked in financial services. 
I think first we have to say what skills are transferable, right? Now, I'm not going to lie. I think I have transferable skills, but I'm not going to go and do specific coding and, and, and app development, right? right? But we remind people all the time that you don't have to be a coder or a developer, a developer to work at So It's kind of like a hospital, Joel. I don't have to be a surgeon to go work at Grady Memorial. I right. mean, there, there are tons of jobs there, right? So that, that, that's the first thing. I think the second thing, I don't know if it's that we can't find the talent because it's not there. I think the talent's not aware. So quick story for you. And when I say not aware, they don't know what they could be doing at technology companies because we need to do a better job of explaining this. When I was in law school, a a financial services firm tried to recruit me out of law school, right? Mm -hmm. Now, other than my great-grandfather, there were no entrepreneurs really in my family. Well, well, let me, I take that back. There were several entrepreneurs, but not in the financial advisory space. And I wanted to be a lawyer. So I said, you know, thanks, but no thanks. 15 years later, I'm working at Mass Mutual Financial Group, spending time with brothers who are financial advisors, and all these brothers are millionaires. And I'm like, <laughs> why didn't somebody tell me that if I had taken that financial advisory job when I was 25 and worked my butt off? Well, see, it was exposure. It was it was understanding what that is. And so what we're trying to do from a Google standpoint is that we see that challenge and opportunity. So we're trying to introduce technology roles to to young people much earlier. Because let me tell you, with artificial intelligence, you know, our cloud computing is our fastest growing segment of our business. You know, with with with, with a competitive landscape with TikTok and, and Facebook and you know we're so what we know, it's a pipeline issue, but it's not for lack of people. Mm-hmm. For me, and this is just Jarrell, so this in Google, this is Jarrell's, you know, kind of belief. Sure, sure. I think that enough people don't know, don't understand what we do. Because using my own example, had I known, man, here I am in my mid-40s now, I might own my own agency. I might be working with you doing deals right now because I have an entrepreneurial mindset, but that recruiter didn't do a good enough job of explaining to me what it meant to be a financial advisor, right? Yeah. And so that's that's another piece. And so when you talk about Code House, you know, here in Atlanta at Morehouse, that's part of what's happening. We're taking brilliant students who could go and work and do anything and saying, hey, let us educate you about the tech space, right? And then inviting them in to find their place there. So I think, you know, pipeline, yeah, like if you say find a black heart surgeon, that may be a limited pool. But when you say finding, you know, qualified black people who may be interested in going into heart surgery, very different conversation right there. So that's why I said this is a long game. This isn't that two year. We do some nice tweets and we're out. This is a very long journey that we're on. All right. Yeah, no, that's a good point, because most people would think, well, I would never even look for an opportunity at Google because I'm not a coder or I don't do some other type of technical work. But you you bring up a good point. Um, we, as I mentioned to you before, we even had Mike Tab on here the other day, is, who is all real estate, and now he's running, you know, real estate for for Google in the Western Hemisphere. So, um, and you would never, you would never connect those dots as it relates to a company like. It's Google. exposure, Joel. It's exposure, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, it's exposure, and then for you all to use your ecosystem when you think about commercial real estate, you got a guy on the sidelines like me that when, when my wife and I are talking, we're like, we got to find some something to invest in. We got to find something to do. But if we don't understand commercial real estate, then how are we going to get into that space? Right. How you know, so it's it's really about education because we need that full that full ecosystem. Right. Mm -hmm. Because you need capital. You need advisors. You know, you need 
a variety of different things for your work to be successful. I think that's in any industry that that's really, you know, having an impact right now. And that's something that, you know, I have a, a, a young man that I mentor. He's a, um, he's a, a middle school teacher. Right. And he's like, Hey man, he's in a small Southern hometown. And he's like, I want to get out of this, this situation. And, and, you know, I think your user, I mean, your listeners will appreciate this. He said, I'm doing the most out of my friend circle. And he said, you know, he told me, he said, Jarrell, I need some people that can challenge me. And he's thinking about moving to Atlanta. I get on the phone with a peer of mine at Google and I'm like, hey, I got a young mentee, but he's a school teacher. And the person said, we got a whole team of educators that we hire that go out. I was like, are you serious? (laughs) Like, yeah, she said, we hire educators, you know, high school teachers, college professors to go out and educate you know, work in the schools, do education, do strategic work with like nonprofits and NGOs. I was like, are you serious? Yep. So see, you know, it's it's the education piece. It's, it's, it's awareness and exposure, man. That That's the big piece right there. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a very, very big point. And, and, you know, that's one of the reasons for, you know, this podcast as well is giving that exposure. And uh, even for myself, trying to work with the, the next generation that's, that's coming along, you know, including, you know, my kids age as well you know, for that, that very situation, you know, in order to expand them in that, in that realm. I did want to ask you this. One thing that, that has always stuck out to me is the fact that, um, you know, there's so many or so few minorities in Silicon Valley. When you look at like the heads of these companies, they're, they're, you know, either white or they're from Europe, you know, like you have the founders of Google you have Elon Musk, you know, all these guys are coming from overseas or the Indian, you know, and which is really Asia. So why do you think it is that we don't have more minorities in the tech space from a technical standpoint at those higher levels? Or do you think part of this exposure that Google's doing also is working to change? Great question. Great question. And this is the moment where I say this is not a Google commercial. This is Jarrell's personal belief. So I just want all y'all to know this is what I feel, what I see. We got you on the record. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think it's I think it's exposure. Right. You know, I, I read a great book about Tony Shea, who, who died a couple of years ago. He's the founder of Zappos. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was reading the story of Zappos, you know, the shoe company. And and he was talking about how he built his first executive team. Well, his executive team are people that went to college with him. You know, his first CFO, you know, they opened a business when they were in college. Elon Musk, you know, Travis Kalanick, the founder of Uber. I think these people were naturally operating in an ecosystem that had advisory, that had mentorship, that had access to capital, right? And so these ideas were just innovating and breeding new ideas. So I think it was the network. Now, when you talk about other, not just Black people, but other underrepresented communities, I think it goes back to what we're exposed to. Now, I think that, you know, Morehouse and Spelman are probably the exception because those students are, you know, you're taking the best of the best and putting them on a college campus. And that's why we see so many innovative things coming out of these campuses. But for the most part, what I've seen as a former entrepreneur myself and still an entrepreneur in mind is, you know, when when I don't have a peer group of people to bounce ideas off of and access to capital and access to resources, I think that's what the big difference is, right? And then it's just kind of breeding itself. It's just kind of, you know, so Silicon Valley has basically just amplified what was already there. You know, because I used to always wonder, why is it that when Black people, you know, where I come from, again, I'm from the South, when we start businesses, 
it's what we've seen. So I'm more likely to go and start a barbershop or start a hair salon or like my dad who owned a, a, a landscaping business for years. Now, a lot of us are getting into residential real estate, but I don't know other. I don't know any commercial real estate. And I wouldn't even just call you a real estate person. I mean, you're doing much more than that. Right. I don't know a lot of Joel's. Right. And so I think it's just access and see, that's where mentorship that's not from people that look like us, right? I think that's why, that's where diversity and allyship comes in. That's where you say to yourself, I have something that someone who does not look like me wants. How do I open up and share my knowledge with them? But no, I don't think it's for lack of intelligence, Joel. I think it's lack of exposure. And again, that's just Jarrell's you know, point of view, right? That's that's a that that's just kind of the circle. Can I pick the phone up and say, hey man, I got a great idea. I need access to capital and I got a venture capitalist on speed dial. I don't personally, I know people within Google, but it's, it's see where I'm going with that, where, you know, so I think it's just the exposure in the ecosystem and, and your listeners may push back on me, you know, they, they may have a different point of view, but that's just my own personal kind of, kind of stand on it. Right. Do you see the company doing something about that in order to expand it? Or is it oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Please. Yeah. So, so, so I had a sister, uh, I was on a call about two weeks ago. So, man, we have all kinds of venture capital funds and things that we do to invest in black black tech and black founders, right? So I was on a call getting a readout. And again, this sister's going to just get me because I'm going to butcher what she said. <laughs> but we have a, a, a fund. I can't tell you the name. I can find out because I was just on a call just getting a readout. And I started sending her IMs during the call while she was presenting. And I said, you mean to tell me that Google has established a fund just to help black founders in tech? She was like, yeah, we've been doing this for a few years. And she's like, we've actually expanded the fund. And I was like, oh, my goodness. And so, you know, we're doing that. But then let me take it a step further back to exposure. So we have a fund that our parent company does for black tech founders. How about a group of Googlers, black Googlers got together and started their own investment fund, right? So they got together. I think it's, it's between five and 10 of them. Their employees, just like me, got together and said, let's start our own fund and let's go out and vet and find black startups and let's help lift them up. And I'm like, see, that's where you see employees being empowered to do things on their own. And they've gotten so in, in one year, they just did this in one year, mm-hmm. it blew up. And so now they got more people wanting to get in to be investors. You know, they got a, a laundry list of, of, of startups trying to get in to be considered. So, you know, it's, again, I go back, it's, it's not going to be one thing, Joel. I think it's this, because, because when you look at somebody in the majority or who experiences privilege, there's not one thing that put them in that position. It's, it's my dad went to this school. My mom knows this person. Yeah. I went to this college. My neighbor down the street did this. So see, it's got to be organic. It can't be these one-off type things. We have to really change the landscape here. Yeah, yeah. And that takes time because um, one of the biggest things, I was at a conference last week and uh, it was talking about that. You know, if you look at the the smaller deals that really get going, it's often friends and family money, right? Well, do you have that uncle that can loan you a million dollars to put in a deal? How many black folks do? They don't, right? So you wind up getting locked out of every deal right at the get-go, even though you might have the knowledge and the talent and see, everything else. And see, I learned this when I worked in, in financial services. That's why so many black financial advisors don't do well over the long run, because what do they tell you? When you're building your book of business, you call everybody you know. 
Yeah. Well, man, I got people in my family that's just trying to pay a mortgage. You know, I mean, I may be handsome, but I don't come from money. You see where I'm going with that? And so, you know, calling, you know, you see, and when you run out of your circle, you know, and then it gets to the trust, right? Because I know now, because now I have a financial advisor. When new financial advisors come to me, what's the first question I have? Who else are you doing business? Whose money are you managing, right? Yep. And so then, you know, like I got a young brother that I'm like, okay, I'm going to give him part of my, now I know better. So I'm like, I'm going to give him part of my portfolio and see how he does with that. But how many people are taking that chance, right? Yeah. You're exactly right. So it's the exposure piece. And see, those are the things I keep telling people. That's not going to be a mandate. That's going to be, and see, that's the hard work that I'm talking about. That's the hearts and mind work. Mm-hmm. That's the, you know, that's when you're talking to, to leaders and they're saying, what can we do? You know, it's who's in the room. It's, 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 it's a leader saying, man, everybody in here comes from the same background, looks like me, talks like me, went to the same college. What are we missing right there? And see, that is the key that we have to step back. And But to your point, you said it's going to be a journey. I'm just trying to make it better for my daughters. So, you know, they're, you know I got three-year-old twins. When they come out of college, my wife has already told me they're going to Spelman, so don't even try it. So let's say, so, so, so let's say one of them wants to be in business, right? I'm hoping that over the next 15 to 20 years, by the time she launches her first company, she has access to capital beyond dad because dad is connected, right? Dad can make some, I can call Joel. I can say, hey, Joel, remember that little one I told you about? But I want it to be bigger than just relying on dad. I want her network, you know, to naturally be so rich that she's not struggling because I think there are some amazing ideas out there that just aren't, that, that, that don't have access to the resources. Because you look, we know we're, we set the tone for culture, right? Yeah. You know, as an African-American people, but why aren't, why doesn't that show up in our overall wealth? And again, this is just Jarrell. I think it's access, man. I think it's knowing who to call. Yeah. And, and here's the other thing, Joel, people calling you with opportunities. Because see, I'm trying to be in those circles where somebody reaches out to me and says, hey, Jarrell, I got a deal, man. I want you to get in on that, that that's where, you know, we've got to get to. And, and, and some stuff companies, you know, the Googles of the world can do everything. But I think there are some hearts and minds stuff that all of us are going to have to work on and be a part of. Yeah. yeah. No, that's 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 very true. You know, and, and we're seeing a, a shift in the landscape. You know, we certainly are. But it's a it's a long time coming. And, you know, we certainly can use the, any assistance that can be brought, you know, by means of access, which is you know, what you're talking about. And Google certainly has the resources to provide and reach back and help in that regard. So, you know, it's a positive thing that you're doing. I didn't know Google had so many different funds that were out there in order to support minority businesses. Well, you got to think, man, you know, quick story for you, right? So, Google has been pursuing me for years, right? I just gave in last year. I interviewed with Google in 06, 07 when I was at Nike, right? Mm -hmm. And during the interview process, one of my interviewers, they got pulled into a meeting and we weren't able to meet. And so the the, the recruiter said, hey, you got about two or three hours. We're going to take you and let you see this startup that we just bought. Guess what the startup was? YouTube. Really? So I go over to YouTube and they're like, it's this, it's this really cool video platform. We just bought it. I go to YouTube and they were having an all-employee meeting, Joel. They got every employee at YouTube in one room. It was less than 100 people. Wow. And so when you talk about the funds and investing, part of the way that these companies scale 
is they grow, you know, they, they acquire, right? Mm-hmm. And so they're always looking for the next YouTube, right? The next Instagram, right? And so, you know, I, I think that that's in our DNA to always be thinking from an acquisition standpoint. And again, this is just the HR guy talking, but mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I read our quarterly, you know, our, our, our earnings reports and mm-hmm. I see how we're just continuing to grow. So I think that's why going from the starter, to the, the, the startup to the company, it's that ecosystem. You see it, man. Somebody knew somebody. I tell people this story all the time that, that a lot of people don't know. So Bill Gates is amazing. He's a brilliant man. You know, I've watched documentaries on him. But see, what, what a lot of people don't know is Bill Gates' first deal, his mom was on the national board of, I think, the United Way, right? Well, the first company that gave him his first, like, I think it was a $40 million deal, the CEO of that company was on the same board with his mom. Mm. Now, the documentary didn't say that mom talked to this guy, but you got Bill Gates with something called Microsoft that no one's ever heard of and Windows. And then when I'm watching the documentary, I put two and two together. I'm like, well, his mom's on the board. The CEO of the company that bought his product is on the board. Look at what happened, right? And y'all can check that. I mean, it's, it's, I've seen you know great documentaries on him. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't that he was just so brilliant, which he is, but he, he also had some help along the way. Yeah, yeah. And that's really the point we got to focus on. Let's do this. Um, wow. I didn't realize how much time it got by us because this has been an excellent conversation. <laughs> so uh, let's go ahead and open up the lines. My apologies to you guys. I know you have some questions out there. And, uh, you know, we certainly want to start getting those. So you can put those in the chat or you can open up uh, by using your virtual hand and we'll, uh, we'll call on you and get things going here. So we appreciate that. So as regards uh, real estate, while we're waiting on those calls to come in, uh, I do see uh, Kerry here. He has put in um, the uh, Black Founders Fund. So we thank you, Kerry, for doing that and letting everybody know that that's out there and available. What else do you see Google doing as regards uh, real estate, being that it's not your your core business, but most of our listeners are all real estate folks? You know, we certainly want to... Uh, you know, see what, what the thoughts are with Google from that standpoint. Okay. Okay. So so I'll tell you, this is not, hey, this is not a scripted soundbite from Google. Okay. I'm just going to talk to you like an employee, right? I'm just going to okay. talk to you like a guy that, because I, I honestly don't know, but I'll tell you what I see. I've seen during, I've seen during uh, COVID, even with this shift to hybrid work, we've still made some of the biggest real estate deals in the history of the cities we've done them in. Y'all can Google it, but last year we bought some some property in uh, New York. Mm-hmm. I, it, it's, I don't know if it's an old train station, but it's, it's a massive, beautiful property that we're going to redo. It's a billion dollar deal. And I'm like, well, we're not slowing down. Then in London, I got friends in London. I was in London back in April. Let me tell you, man, this new, we, we just, I think, Last year, year before, we closed the largest real estate deal, but it was during COVID in London. And I saw this building under construction. And so, again, I, I can't speak for I can't even speak for my boss. So let me say this. Yeah. But what I see in the news and what I see in our announcements, it looks like that we're not going to take our foot off the gas in expanding, you know, from a real estate standpoint. And Google properties are amazing. They're, they're, they're never out in the middle of nowhere. You know, they're always in the, like in London, right in the heart of a big district, you know, in New York, you know, and even our, you know, Chelsea Pier offices, which I haven't had a chance to visit, I hear are amazing. So Joel, just from what I'm seeing, we haven't slowed down. We keep doing it, right? We keep making these big deals because we're growing so fast, right? So it, it looks like, there's continued opportunity. Another one on the on the on the flip side, which is less known, 
you know, with cloud com- computing, you know, most people think about the cloud and they say up in the air and up in the sky and they don't really understand it. But cloud computing in data centers. So see, remember I told you I'm from I'm from rural Tennessee, man. I was born. I grew up in the country on a farm. Right. Well, one thing I've learned about our data centers, which is, you know, cloud is a big business right now and it's going to continue to be. It's only going to get bigger. A lot of our data centers, because they have to be secure, they have to have access to these certain pieces. They're not in major cities. So if I'm thinking about a commercial deal, like my family owns land in rural Tennessee, I'm like, man, I wonder if our land is a good spot for a Google data center. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's something that, you know, I know you had someone from Google real estate on. That's something that if I were in commercial real estate, I'd be trying to find those deals. Right. I'd be trying to understand where's your next data center going to be built, right? Because like right here in Atlanta, the reason that Google was in Atlanta is for for our data centers. You know, this is one of our biggest data center hubs right here in Georgia, right? And so, you know, again, but that's coming from an HR guy. I can't give you hard numbers, but I can tell you what I'm seeing as with the growth of our business. Yeah, it doesn't look like we're slowing down, man. Gotcha, gotcha. And so if if individuals or listeners wanted to, do business with Google, is there a certain path that they need to go down in order to participate in some of these great opportunities? Now, that's something I don't know, but I could find out. I I could definitely find out. Like, I know when we open our Atlanta office, you know, I think right now the, the new office that we just built in Midtown is one of the tallest structures built in Atlanta in the last 50 years, if not the, I think Truist just beat us out or it's between us and Truist, right? And I know when they walked us through all the the local, like everything in that building, every, every part of that deal for that building, Joel, had local Atlanta, black owned and diverse owned businesses at every step of the way, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a person, so this is where I said, I shared last week, I can find out and get back to you. But I would say the person that you know from Google probably knows better than I do already (laughs) how to get into those deals, right? Okay. All right. Well, we'll we'll take him and certainly we'll follow up on that and see what we can do. I'll just say this. And the reason I say that, Mm -hmm. we're 170,000 employees, right? And so I, I tell my team all the time. There's someone here who has the answer. We just have to figure out who that person is. Yeah. And so, for instance, you know someone in real estate at Google, and I don't know anyone in real estate at Google. So right. you're a step you ahead. But, but I think <laughs> even so, so I'll tell you action item for you and I. Make an introduction to me and that person when okay. we get done. Yeah. And I can do some digging and find out, hey man, how do people get to do business with Google? Right? How do we get to that point? Yep, yep, yep. All right, consider it done. We'll do that after the call. All right, Quinn, we appreciate you being here today. You had a question. Where do you see the future of DEI and corporate responsibility initiatives as it relates to diversifying board positions and upper-level management C-suite opportunities? So that's a loaded question. What do you think about that? Uh-huh. Quinn, great question. I think now, it's, I, think, I think the shift we've seen is it's not a nice-to-have. It's a must-have to do business, period, right? I think w- when we think about talent, when we think about you know, millennials are the most socially, you know, we talk about how boomers were really socially uh, responsible and aware in the 1960s and 70s. But millennials now, let me tell you, this new group of employees that I'm working with, they don't put a paycheck first. They look at how a company leverages its platform. They want to know who's on the board, 
who's in leadership, right? And 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 the 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 blessing that they have is they can just go online and do all the research themselves. You know, back in the in the like for me in the '90s when I was interviewing, I had to trust what you were telling me because there was nowhere for me to go to get the information. Sure. So, Quinn, I really think that it's it's going to go from being less corporate speak. Companies are still in that you know nice soundbite, nice tweet, nice. LinkedIn posts, but see, people will see right through that now and they want to see what you're doing. And that's why I go back to some of the things that we're doing. You know, words don't, you know, words are great, but they, it's not as good as money, right? It's not as good as action. It's not as good as accountability. So for us, when we, you know, talk to our leaders and say, Hey, this is how your organization looks. And this is how you're hiring. This is who the last 10 people look like. And these are the goals that you have set. That's a very different conversation right there. You know, when you start talking about our products and services, you know, and people wanting our products and services to be socially conscious and aware. I mean, our employees are very, very aware, Quinn, and and and, and they see through a lot of the corporate speak. And so that's why I talk. I, I say, look, we can't be talking to people in sound bites. We have to show people what we're doing. So I think that's really, really important. So to to answer that, I think it's going to be a lot more tangible over time. But now I, I also think that it's a maturity scale. I think a lot of companies are throwing a lot of resources at things, but you can't throw millions of dollars at something with a team of three people managing that, right? You know, there has to be an ecosystem of accountabilities and key stakeholders, not just inside the company, but outside the company as well. So again, I think it's going to change, Quinn. I do, because for me, in the 15 to 20 years I've been doing this work, the last two years have been absolutely tremendous. But I'm also seeing that we're still not there because here's what's crazy. You know, the numbers have moved, but they haven't moved in two years and and, and the way that we would want them to be overnight. And I think that's what Joel and I have been talking about. This is going to take time. Right. We didn't get here overnight. It's going to I think for me, somebody needs to be the way you monitor the growth of a company. You know, some, you know, chief diversity officers, that role is going to change. You're going to stop seeing you know, really charismatic people that can shake hands and kiss babies. And you're going to start to see business leaders who are business minded, who can talk about how they're moving the needle and how the work that they're doing is having an impact on the bottom line. I hope that answers your question, Quinn. All right. Well, we certainly appreciate that. Very good point there. Deborah Johnson, uh, does your work with DEI interface with the new way for meeting ESG requirements? Obviously, ESG is environmental, social and governance. And um, what would you say to that? It does. I think, you know, in, 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 in two of the components and gosh, I wish I had an ESG person on here, so I don't want to butcher this. But I know this as a former chief diversity officer myself, the social component for sure. Right. Because, you know, and a lot of companies have even started to talk about, you know, like right around the time George Floyd was murdered, ESG was really taking off. And so a lot of companies were saying, well, should we just put the diversity efforts into our ESG strategy, and they did, but most companies kept diversity, equity, and inclusion broken out so that because someone needs to own that work and manage that work full time. It is a big part of that work. And then even with governance, right? When you start to think about what your board diversity looks like, you know, all those things when when companies do their ESG filings, diversity plays a big role in at least those two of those components, right? When you start to think about what are we doing socially, you know, so for us, it's going to be our racial equity commitments. It's going to be investments in historically black colleges and universities. Another big piece. So I talked about being at Essence Music Festival a couple of weeks ago. We uh, have a, a, um, 
a strategy and a, and a relationship with the divine nine, the sororities in the divine nine, right? Where we empower those sororities through resources to train, you know, individuals for roles to work in technology, not even at Google. We've even said, hey, you don't have to come work at Google. We want to offer free training. Those sororities, you know, in just in less than two years, I think they've trained over a million people. It's just been like amazing types of work. So when you talk about social and engaging, all of that from a diversity standpoint flows up into the ESG conversation. But I will say this because I know you all are fiscally responsible and and you're minded in your business. I saw an article last week. BlackRock is about to dial down their ESG investments. And I was like, okay, BlackRock. And, 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 And the quote from their PR person said, hey, we got into ESG because we're capitalists, not because we're environmentalists, right? And so the question is, is will ESG be a trend or is it going to be here to stay? That's that, That's the question that I have when I think about ESG. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's tell, won't it? So appreciate you bringing that out. Uriah, what leading and lagging indicators do you all look at to access the performance of all the DEI initiatives in flight? Gosh, I, I wish my boss was 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 on the call because she could answer that holistically, right? For me, I'll tell you what I what I look at, and 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 but but my world is is not even half the size of her world because she sees it. I have a global role, but I'm not the person being held accountable for it the way she is. You know, it, it's a collection of things. I look at yes, hiring may be up, but what is our turnover doing, right? So we can go out and hire a Jarrell. But how many Jarrells are leaving and is he leaving as fast as we're hiring, right? Because then we're just at break even. We have entire teams at Google that are committed to looking at equity in all of our processes. So we look regularly, sometimes monthly, sometimes quarterly on equity and the way that we you know, manage performance, the way that we you know, do raises and hiring and stuff like that. So you know, it, it has to be an ongoing dashboard of data points that we look at. And, and, and here's what I, I've never worked at a company like this, because, again, I come from the traditional chief diversity officer. You're lucky if you get one person to report to you kind of deal. We got over 100 people that work just on the diversity team at Google. Right. And that's being very conservative. So, you know, when you have entire teams of people, we have another team that's amazing where they're called the stay and thrive team. All they do is do intervention. So let's say Joel has been here like, you know, we have a dashboard and data points. We can see based on how Joel is being rated, based on how Joel is showing up in engagement surveys. We can see and almost predict, man, Joel is probably three months from quitting. So we can engage and intervene with Joel and say, hey, man, how's everything going? You know, what do you need? And this stay and, th- and this stay and thrive team does some amazing work. And the proof is in the pudding, because what do we do? I know as a black man myself, I'm not going to raise my hand when I'm having a problem. I'm going to try to figure it out myself. Right. So, you know, there are a bunch of indicators that we look at. There's not one thing. I'll tell you what it was five years ago. Five years ago, it was hiring and promotions, right? That was it. Are you hiring and are you promoting? Well, see, companies are doing that now. Are they staying? Are they being promoted again? How does their performance look after they promote, right? Compared to their peers in the majority. So it, it's a it's a it's a massive, you know, collection of data that we look at, and we have some brilliant people that work on that. Gotcha, gotcha. <clears throat> Uriah, okay, yeah, he says thanks for that, but that's real good. So let me ask you this, Joe, and, and I'm going to certainly follow up with you offline. I'll make that introduction that you spoke of, and, um, you know, we'll certainly talk about some other things offline. But uh, for all of our guests here today, and, and also mainly, like I said, I, I do this for 
the next generation of uh, executives and, and ones that are reaching out in the CRE space. What uh, final comments would you have for them, for individuals that might want to work at Google or might want to advance their careers in other spaces? Um, you mentioned exposure and a lot of other things. What final concluding comments would you would you have for the group? Well, first and foremost, I, I look at I'm looking at this screen, right? So from Jasmine, Lauren, Laverne, Uncle Sam, Natalie, uh, Quinn, Deneen, RJ. Right now, you have something that somebody else wants, right? Because we're talking about diversity in, in different industries. We're talking about tech specifically. But right now, regardless of where you are in your business career, there is somebody who needs what you have, even if you don't think you're there. Right. And so, you know, it's almost a challenge, Joel, if you will, is to think about who can you lift up and take care of? I'll tell you, when I, I ran my own consulting firm for four years and I wasted a lot of money, I know y'all probably have to paying for strategists who can help you get your business plan together, building out your website, which I learned in business. You don't even need a website if you got good products and services. It's like all these things, mm -hmm. you know, how can you help scale? Because now what I see, which is ironic that I'm back in the corporate realm, I see people who were further behind me who didn't have what I have who are doing amazing things, right? Because I invested in them. And I'm like, man, I want to be like them when I grow up. And they were calling me for advice. Yeah. And then now I think down the road because, hey, I'm just in my 40s. Google is not my last thing. When I think about entrepreneurially, I'm like, man, now I've invested in them. They can pull me up, you know, from a business standpoint. So that's my first piece. Okay. My second piece... My second piece is, you know, if, if you got a nephew, a, a niece, a cousin, a neighbor, you know, that, that that's wanting to work in tech, let them know that there's more to tech than just coding and developing. Now, do our coders and developers make make a great amount of money? Yes, they do. But, you know, I can you know safely say this. We pay competitively across the board at Google. So, you know, a kid out of college getting a job at Google, it's a big deal. Right. And we have a need for that. So I would say encourage, encourage them through exposure. I had a brother that runs a nonprofit here in Atlanta, reached out to me on LinkedIn. Hey, man, we want to get a code, a coding school at my nonprofit. I reached out to somebody. I said, hey, what's what's the details? And we just and we just announced we do it every year, every summer. I said, hey, brother, this is what you asked for. Right. All you got to do is sign up and get it at your get it at your piece. Right. Mm -hmm. and yeah. Then, yeah. So so it's it, it's a lot. But but I really encourage you all to lift as you climb. I mean, just coming from a business owner myself, you all have a, a tremendous capacity to, to lift others up. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for saying that. And uh, one thing I, I want to ask our guests today, um, if you've enjoyed this podcast, if you can, please leave some comments in the chat for us. And uh, that would really help us uh, with the podcast as well. So thank you for doing that. And uh, Gerald, I mean, I, I can talk to you for another five hours. I mean, you know, we're going to have to just get together and have a beer somewhere and just kind of chop it up. Yes. Yeah. Hey, I'm a cigar guy, man. If you want to get together and grab a cigar or something, just let me know, man. I hear you. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we definitely got to get together. So, no, I, I appreciate it. Um, it's been great information. And I'm only ending it because, you know, like I said, I try to respect the time. And I don't see any other questions that have come in. So we're going to we're gonna leave it there. But um, this has been, been great information and great exposure. And I appreciate you coming at your time to speak to us. A group of real estate people, even though your focus is not real estate, because it's all interconnected, and uh, we certainly appreciate all the. Work. Man, you've just expanded my network, Joel. I mean, because now I think about myself. Joel is going to be my person, and look at this. Look, look at this tremendous network of people that you have. Yeah. I mean, that's the that's the piece, man, and that's what we have to do. 
you know, and and, and I'll say this, this will be the last thing I say. Mm-hmm. We can't hold information hostage, man. And, that, and, you know, call it what you want, but, and you can tell from the way that I show up, if there's something I can tell you that's going to help you out, I'm going to do it, you know, and we have to share, it's information sharing that is so critical to all of us being successful, man. Yeah, that's a powerful point. You know, you said you'll end on that, but I, I got to comment on that as well, because that, that's been a problem over the years, right? It, it was almost like, well, I made it, so you go figure it out, right? I figured it out, you go figure it out. It can't be like that. You know? It is so much money out here. It's so wow. much out here. You know, it's it's like it, it's not possible for one person to hold it all hostage. That's, right. that's what we have to stop thinking about. Right, right. Just because somebody else comes up doesn't mean you're not going to get yours. So very, very powerful point, and, and I certainly appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, man, I, I heard about that fantastic building down there. Well, I've driven by it, so I know exactly where it is. We got to have lunch down I got to get you by, man. You got to get me in, man. Yes, just say when. Look, just say when, man. We, 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 we've opened up. You know, if y'all read the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, you know, we had a, our, our kind of grand opening last week. Lots of articles that are out there. Joel, I'll send you a couple of those articles for you okay. to take a look at. Just say when, man. J- just say when you want to get by. I would love that. I would love that. And, and bring, I might bring a couple of young ones with me, too, just so that they can have Oh, no, man. Look, definitely. Look, man, we'll, look, we'll bring you. One thing about Google that's cool, you bring guests in, we'll feed you, we'll show you around. You just say when, man. I, I love to coordinate a tour for you. All right. Appreciate that. Certainly do. Certainly do. So, all right. Well, everyone, we certainly appreciate it. Uh, thank you to Jarrell Moore. It's been fantastic. Excellent podcast. We certainly appreciate it. Thank you for all your comments as well that you're putting in the chat. Uh, we'll leave that up a little bit longer. If you can put those in there, we'll greatly appreciate it. And we want to thank you all that you've been listening to the Mornings with Joel CRE podcast. And uh, we want to thank you all for being here. And Jarrell, again, we'll talk soon, man. I certainly appreciate you, bro. All right. Be well, everyone. I'm off to the next call. (laughs) Have a good one, man. Take care now. You've been listening to Mornings with Joel, commercial real estate podcast, where we focus on rising stars and established players in commercial real estate and talk to them about how they are building legacies in today's marketplace. Please check back weekly to hear our upcoming guests.